Well, I don't know about you, but uh, my head is still spinning from what is easily one of the most vicious and hate-filled, divisive election years ever, right? Man, whew. And, and the, the thing is, uh, a lot of that division and, and controversy and conflict, it's still lingering, Right? I mean, you turn on, you turn on the news, and it, I mean, it's still going on. There's still all the the fighting and the battling and the protesting and this controversy and this conspiracy. I, I mean, it just doesn't seem like there's an end in sight, and it's just it's polarizing. Never before has there been such extreme division as a result of not just the political season, but even who is in office. It's just incredible. And, and so the question is, for all of us, is what does the church of Jesus do with all that, right? What do we do with it? I mean, what's the right mindset for us to have going forward as it relates to human government? And to, to answer that, to answer that question of, of how we handle it and what we do with it and how we reconcile everything, I want you to think of four gears working together, working together to help us maintain the right perspective that's related to politics and, and government. And just like the gears on a bicycle or, or in a car or other type of machine, each specific aspect of what we talk about today, it's going to function like gears that have to consistently work together and spin and move and work in order for us to keep the right balance, the right balance of, of government and politics and our walk with Christ. Um, you know, gears, they have to, to interlock together, right? They have to, they have to fit together and for them to be able to move and, and to, to work and to function. If one is off base then really the whole device, the whole machine, the whole whatever it is that the gears are, are in working, it's not going to function. It's not going to work. They have to fit together right. They have to be completely joined together. They can't operate independently of each other. And if they do, if they do fit together and remain together and operate together, then the whole thing runs smoothly. But all it takes is one to get off base. All it takes is one to get off balance. And then it doesn't... Spin. It doesn't work. It doesn't move forward. So I want you to think of, of what we talk about today in that way. Think of, think of gears working together, spinning, moving, interlocking together to propel the engine and the device forward. Um, on your handout that you have in your bulletin, you'll see uh, four round objects. Well, that's, that's gears. Think of it as gears. And the, there's a mindset and a perspective that's very, very important for us to have. Very, very important for us to keep in front of us. Very important to apply as we think about politics and government and all that goes with it. And that mindset, that perspective is this. That no matter who occupies the White House, no matter who occupies the White House, the Lord Jesus will always occupy the throne of the universe. No matter who occupies the White House, the Lord Jesus will always occupy the throne of the universe. Isn't that an encouraging thought? 
Because, as we know, the political landscape changes rapidly. It changes frequently. And it changes, in many cases, dramatically. It's always changing. Always. Whether it's the president, or Congress, or the Senate, it's always in a state of flux. So it's very encouraging to me to know that no matter what changes politically or in government, that there is one who never changes. And there is one government that is perfect government that will always be the same. I need that in my life. You need that in your life. We need that to focus on. We need to know that we can always turn to one perfect ruler who always has everything as it should be. So I take great thought in in knowing this. And that's the perspective that we all, as Christians, who live in this land, who live under the government we live under, this is the perspective we need to keep in front of us at all times. This is what we need to embrace. This is what we need to come back to. But again, like any machine, any car, any device, bicycle, you need gears working together, moving to propel the thing forward. And so for us, we need these gears to be constantly functioning and working together for us to maintain this mindset, this perspective. So the first gear that's absolutely important to establish and to have working properly is this. It's on your hand out there. We need to remember, we need to believe, we need to live out the fact that our hope, our hope is in God, not in politicians. Our hope is in God, not in politicians, not in a political system on either side of the aisle. Our hope is in God, not in politicians, not in a political system on either side of the aisle. Our hope needs to remain in God, church, regardless of the outcome of elections. That, that doesn't need to play nearly as significant of a role as it does in our minds as knowing that our hope can rest securely in God no matter what. Psalm 20 verse 7 says this, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We could insert for our purposes today, some trust in chariots, some in horses. We could insert some trust in Democrats and some trust in Republicans. Right? And, and just as it was foolish for Israel to trust in chariots and, and horses, and the psalmist here is saying, no, don't do that. Some trust in, in chariots and horses. Some trust in the physical. Some trust in, in those things for their safety, for their security, for their peace, for their purpose, for their hope. Don't do that. We need to trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's what he was telling Israel. It's foolish to trust in chariots and horses. No matter how strong they may be, no matter how imposing they may be, no matter how many of them you may have, don't trust in those things. They're, they're fleeting, they're limited, they're empty. Trust in the name of the Lord our God. And church, the same thing can be said for us today. Some trust in Democrats. Some trust in Republicans. But we need to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Because our hope is not in either one of those. It can't be. Our hope, when we put, them in, when we put our hope in, in, in people like 
like we see uh, on CNN and on Fox News and what we see on the ballot, as good as they may be, at some point, even the best candidate is going to drop the ball. And it's, it's, it's inevitable. They're going to let you down. So if your hope is in them, on either side of that, your hope is going to be disappointed. Our hope is in God, not in politicians or a political system on either side of the aisle. Um, you know, and, and we, would, we would not dare say, I, I, any of us, we would not dare say, yes, I hope in the political candidates that I see before me. I, I hope in a Democrat. I hope in a Republican. I hope in the Democratic Party. I hope in the Republican Party. I hope in the President. I hope in Congress. None of us would ever say that. Right? I mean, we would never, ever say that in so many words. But attitudes so often convey exactly that. Our attitudes and our demeanor and our mindset and even, even what we say in other ways still communicates that sometimes that's exactly where our hope lies. In the politicians, in government, in the right candidates, whatever that may be. But here, here's the subtle danger for the church in that. Here's the subtle danger, and, and I just want to caution us all on this, okay? I just want to caution us. Here's some, some gentle shepherding, okay? The church, the American church, typically, for the most part, will, in just about every election season, we will just about always align ourselves completely with the conservative party or the conservative platform, the conservative candidate. And, and please understand, I get that. I know why. It makes sense, right? I, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying that's not a reasonable thing to do. I get it. I understand why. But here's the danger. The danger is that we can go from doing that for moral or biblical reasons you know, for, for siding with a platform or a particular candidate or party because they represent more of the, the biblical worldview or a moral, moral position more so than the other candidate or the other party. And, and that's, I really do believe, that's most of what is on your heart and my heart and, and when we do that. But the danger is that it can very easily and quickly and subtly go from that reason, from a moral or a biblical reason, to being that that candidate or that party or platform represents an easy Christianity. That this candidate of the conservative party, the Republican or the Tea Party or whatever you, you want to call it, that they're going to make it very, very, very easy to be Christian in America. That they're going to make it a very comfortable thing to be a Christian. And hey, we all want that. I mean, let's, let's just be honest about it. Nobody says, yes, sign me up for persecution. Nobody enjoys opposition. Nobody enjoys suffering. No one welcomes confrontation or conflict. I mean, we all want it to be comfortable. We like being comfortable. We like it to be easy. 
Problem with that, though, church, is that's not what the point of Christianity is. The point of Christianity is not just to be comfortable, not just to be convenient, not to not have any problem or issue ever. The, the, the point of Christianity is not just to, to float through or, or skate through this world and this life without being opposed for being a Christian. In fact, Jesus said quite the opposite. He said, you know what, if you're a follower of me, be prepared, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you because they hate, they hate me first. And if you're a follower of me, if you align yourself with me, expect to be hated by the world. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. It's going to happen. He said to his disciples, when they bring you before their courts, not if it possibly might happen, it's when. The Bible says all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And I know we don't like to hear that. I don't like to hear it. I don't like to think about it. I like a convenient Christianity. I like it comfortable. But church, that's just not what we're called to embrace. That's not what we're called to focus on. That's not to be our pursuit. That's not to be our aim. Comfort, convenience, making sure that it's as easy as possible to be a Christian. I mean, it's entirely possible that, you know, XYZ Canada is going to to deliver on that. They're going to make it great to be a Christian. They're going to restore all kinds of Christian values to this land. And I'm all for that. That's not a bad thing. Please hear me. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. All I'm saying is let's be careful that we don't confuse supporting a certain party or candidate or person just because they're going to make it easy for us to be a Christian in this country. Let's make sure that's not our focus. Let's make sure that's not where our hope lies. That's all I'm saying. Just some, some gentle shepherding there. Okay? So our hope is in God, not in politicians or a political system no matter who it may be. And along the same line, Psalm 121, verses 1 through 2 says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? That's a good question that, that David is asking here. Well, the answer is it's not going to be found in a human leader, <laughs> no matter who they are, no matter what they represent, no matter what they promise. Our help is not going to come from Capitol Hill. That's not the hills that it's going to come from. Our help, our provision, our blessing, our support, our encouragement, our strength, our, the grace that we need, it's going to come from one place and one place alone, and that's from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our help is going to come from the Lord who made heaven and earth, as verse 2 says. I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? And we're always asking that. We're always looking for help. We're always needing help in our life, in our circumstance as we go forward. And, and the, the, the worse the world gets around us, the more we see things decay, that's going to be more our question. Where's our help coming from? We need help. Where's it going to come from? Well, it's not going to come from Washington. It's going to come from heaven. It's going to come from Jesus Christ. It's going to come from our relationship with him, our trust in him, our hope in him and him alone. We need to remember that. That's where it comes from. 
God always remains in control. Always. No matter what happens in the political arena, no matter what happens in government, God always remains in in control. And that control, that sovereignty that God has, the sovereign that he is, that extends to the specific people that occupy the positions of power and leadership over us. His control extends down to the smallest detail of who is in position of leadership and government over us, even when, even when they are opposite of what we chose or hoped for. We need to remember that, that his control, his perfect sovereignty doesn't just extend to the, the candidate that we want or that we voted for or that we chose or that we think is going to be the best option. It extends even when the opposite occurs. And Romans 13, 1 through 2, tell us about that. Romans 13, 1 says this, everyone, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist are instituted by God. Here's what that means. It means that that control, that direct involvement, that that divine installing of leaders over us, people in position of power and government and influence, are directly, divinely placed there by God himself. And that applies, that applied, I should say, past tense, that applied to President Obama, even though we don't like to think of it that way. You know, that applied to him. All eight years that he was in government, no matter how you disagreed with him or his policies or what he brought about, no matter how much I disagreed, and I disagreed, trust me, (laughs) you know, I was not a, a supporter of his position or his platform. There was a lot of damage done, no doubt. That's that's not even in dispute. But you know what? God allowed him to be in office. God appointed him as president over this nation for eight years. And he, as our president, deserved and needed our respect and our prayers. He was placed there by God Almighty, not just by the voters of America. So that applied to him. Romans 13.1 applied to him. Romans 13.1 applies to President Trump that we have now. And... I don't know about you, but I have heard so many people that I know personally, even fellow Christians who I know are genuinely brothers and sisters of Christ to me, who have said, well, he's not my president. You know, the, the, the level of his, his personal demeanor and, and his attitude and some of the things he said, which I do not agree with, have just been too much for them to get behind. And they've said, you know, I, I just can't do it. I cannot support him. I cannot honor him as president. He's not my president. And people said the same thing over, you know, the last eight years for Obama. But Romans 13.1 applies to Donald Trump as well. And it applies to whoever will take the Oval Office after Trump, whoever that may be. Romans 13.1 
It's all inclusive, church. We don't get to pick and choose. We don't get to say, I'm going to submit to the governing authority over me so long as they match up with the Bible. I'm going to submit to the governing authority over me so long as they make it easy to do so. I'm going to submit to the governing authority over me so long as it's the one I voted for and can really get behind and support 100%. No, that's not what it says. It just says everyone must submit to the governing authorities, period. For the reason for that is that there is no authority except from God and that those that exist are instituted by God and we need to remember that and act accordingly. And here's the thing. If we choose not to do that, if we say, no, I will not submit, I will not respect them, I will not honor them as the leader over me that God has placed, I will not pray for them, I just can't do it. You say that, okay, that's your choice. But here's a very stern, clear warning about what is inevitable to come your way if that's your attitude. Look at verse 2. Romans 13.2 says this. So then, in other words, because of verse 1, because verse 1 is true, and what is true about it, verse 2 says this. So then, the one who resists the authority, or rebels is another word, rebels against that authority, is opposing not just that leader, What's it say? Opposing God's command. They are opposing God himself. Now that is terrifying. I I don't want to be in direct opposition to God and his agenda. Do you? The Bible says it is a fearful thing, a terrible thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. I mean, he's a good, good father. He's Abba. But let's not ever forget who God is and what He is. He is the absolute sovereign king, creator, ruler, sustainer over all the universe. He's the one that at at His very word, all of the universe and galaxies and everything came into being. And at His word, one day it will all melt away. He's the God who gives you your breath right now and who could take it like that. You are here and I am here because he wills it to be. That's the God that we have. God of love, God of mercy, God of grace, but God of unfathomable power and justice. I don't want to oppose him. I don't want to be in opposition to him. And Romans 12, 2 says, So then the one who resists the authority, the governmental authority, is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it, God's command, will bring judgment on themselves. Oh, brother and sister in Christ, that means nothing good can come from your opposing the authority that God has placed over you. Nothing good can come from it. Except, except your judgment. That's what will come. That's the only thing that will come that you will bring God's judgment on yourself because you are not just opposing the leader, you're opposing God's command, God himself, behind it. Think of Daniel, you know, and and all that he went through, all the the kings he ministered under and served. I mean, you've got Nebuchadnezzar and and you've got Darius. I mean, these people were, were megalomaniacs. They were pagan, godless, evil men. But he submitted to them, he respected them, he served them well. Think of Nehemiah, 
Think of all the Christians under Rome. I mean, goodness gracious, you had Nero, you had Caligula, you had all these other incredibly wicked, evil people, and God never once had Paul tell them, you know what, it's okay, you don't have to submit to them anymore. They're they're just too evil. They're too opposed to God's agenda and perspective. It's all right, go ahead, Just, just don't submit, don't respect, go your own way, rebel, rebel, rebel. No, that never, ever happened. They were told to submit to the authority over them, knowing that they were placed there by God for his perfect purpose, even if that purpose never, ever made sense to them on a human level. There's going to be all kinds of examples of human leaders in government that we scratch our heads and say, why? God, what what did you do here? But we don't have to know that. That's not what we're, we're told to We're told to have as a priority. We're told to have as a priority in our hearts and our minds that we are going to respect and submit to those leaders and pray for them, knowing that God placed them there according to his perfect purpose. Why? Why is all this so important for us? It's because God will always be the greatest source of hope available. God will always be the greatest source of hope available. So we need to not hope in human government We need to not hope in political parties, knowing they're going to let us down. But that hope in God extends to knowing that he's in control and that he has placed the people over us according to his perfect plan and purpose. And we can trust that because we can trust him. We can rest in him. So that's the first gear that's very important to have in place. The second gear that needs to be functioning and working with the first one, remember gears have to interlock and and move together, The second gear that's important to keep this perspective going, this perspective that no matter who occupies the White House, the Lord Jesus will always occupy the throne of the universe to keep that in front of us. The second gear is this, that our first devotion is to a king and a kingdom. Our first devotion is to a king and a kingdom. That's where our first and foremost level of devotion needs to be. Not a human governmental system or a leader. Philippians 3.20 says this, But our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. Hebrews 13.14 says this, For we do not have an enduring city here, a permanent city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Now, this does not mean we're not thankful for our country. That's not what this is is about or or instructing us in. It's not saying don't be thankful for your country, don't don't support it, don't love it. No, that's not at all what it's saying, and that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't be thankful that you live here. Be thankful you live here. What an amazing privilege it is to live in the United States of America. Be thankful for it. Support this nation. Love this nation. I'm not saying anything to the contrary. I'm just saying in terms of priorities, we've got to make sure, church, that we are Christians first, that we are children of the king first, not American first or Republican first or Democrat first. We need to get our priorities right. If you're in Christ, you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. And that needs to inform everything you do in life. Far, far above being 
an American or a Republican or a Democrat. Just remember who you are in Christ is what I'm saying. It's what this is talking about. Don't put an anchor here. Don't let this be your permanence. If you're in Christ, you've traded up. Your permanence is in heaven. That's where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. That's where you need to have your anchor. And that needs to be your motivation going forward. That's what this is is talking about. This also doesn't mean that we don't have a voice, that we don't use our voice, that we don't get involved and informed in the political process, in the governmental process. I'm not saying that either because we do need to have a voice. We do need to use our voice. We need to be informed. We need to be involved. All I'm saying with this is that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We need to have the proper perspective, the right order of priorities. It's really what Jesus was saying when the people tried to trip him up. The religious leaders came to him and they tried to trip him up about paying taxes. You remember that? They tried to get him to where he could be accused of being rebellious against Rome and trying to incite rebellion. They tried to trip him up. And he took this coin. He asked for a coin. And he said, whose inscription is on this coin? And they said, Caesar's, the emperor." And he said, okay then, give to Caesar, to the emperor, what belongs to Caesar, what belongs to the emperor, and give to God what belongs to God. They they had nothing to say. (laughs) It's priorities. It's, It's being in the world, living here and functioning here, but not being of the world. Not being under the world's banner. Not being anchored to the world system, which includes the human government, human politics. Why? Because God is greater, and he needs to be our greatest devotion. It's what he deserves. That's what's his rightful place in and, of our, in and over our lives. He is greater than any of our other affections or our devotions, and needs to be our first and our foremost. Well, moving on, so you've got these two gears working together now, keeping this perspective in front of us, the right perspective that no matter who occupies the White House, Jesus will always occupy the throne of the universe, keeping that in front of us, keeping that applied to every area of our life. Here's another gear that's important for us to make sure is working right, spinning and moving. It's this, that Jesus desires that we remain unified together, not divided by political lines. The Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, desires, church, that we remain unified together, not divided by political lines. We need to make sure that we define ourselves by who and what we are in Christ, far above the name of the party on our voter registration. You hear me on that? We need to be defined by who and what we are in Christ, far above the name of the party on our voter registration. So important. Look what John, uh, I'm going to read John 17, 21 through 23. says this, Jesus speaking here, he's praying to his father right before he goes to the cross. This is his, his you know, last heard prayer from his disciples that we get to hear too because he prayed for us as well. It's incredible. John 17, 21 through 23, Jesus speaking, may they all, talking about 
all of his followers, all of his believers, all of his disciples, not just the 11 there with him then, but you and me today and every future believer. May they all, my church, he's saying, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and and I am in you. May they also be one in us. So, Here's the reason, the result of that, so that the world may believe you sent me. Because, friends, the world is never going to see division in Christ's church and say, oh, I want to be part of Christ's church. You know, they're never going to say, oh, look at how, how, how horribly they get along. Look at how horribly they, they function and act together. I want that. No, that's never going to happen. There's enough division and fighting and, and warring to last 10,000 lifetimes out in the world. What they need to see is something vastly different. They need to see people of Democrats and Republican-leaning political positions and independents, and they need to see people with a lot of money and people with no money, and they need to see people with a lot of educational background and pedigree and people that have never even completed high school all coming together, rallying around one cause, namely Jesus Christ. That's what the world will see and say, what is going on there? That's what the world will see and they will have to say, I want that. And that's what Jesus prayed for. Verse 22. I have given them the glory you have given me. May they be one as we are one. There it is again. You sense a pattern here? You see something that's important to Jesus? You think unity is a priority for him maybe? Hmm? Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me. May they be made completely one, perfectly one, entirely one is what that word means. So, here it is again, so the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. My friends, if, if that was as big of a priority for Jesus, as important to him as it obviously was, then our unity together as believers in every area of life, especially the tough things like politics, needs to be important to us as well. And if we're unified together, especially in the tough things like politics, the things you're not supposed to ever talk about, you know, if we are unified together in that, as one body, that, that despite our differences, if we will say, if I will say, and you will say, and, and we'll pursue this, this mindset together, that even though we may disagree politically, and we're able to do that, that's fine. We don't have to always agree on every little thing. But if we will say that despite our disagreements on that, that we are in total agreement about what really matters, which is Jesus Christ and his gospel, then that is what will stand out and be undeniable, and that is what we need to have as a priority because Jesus had it as a priority. It was important to him, so much so that he went to the cross to make it happen. And and that unity, that level of unity, will be a powerful witness to who Jesus is and to the life-changing power of the gospel. But here's the thing. The reverse is also true. Our lack of unity is a serious and dangerous thing. It's a serious and dangerous thing to have a lack of unity because if we have a lack of unity in anything, 
but especially in terms of politics. If we have a lack of unity, then that communicates something as well. It communicates that what we say and believe are two different things. That's what it says loud and clear. It says that that what we claim doesn't translate very well into action. That the gospel hasn't really made that much difference. I mean, think about it. If we're able and willing to let something so menial, because at the end of the day, it really is menial, so temporary, so fleeting as politics, if we're willing to let that actually drive a wedge between us as brothers and sisters in Christ, if that's all it takes to keep us apart, then what kind of gospel do we really believe or have? Where's the power in it? There isn't any. If that's all it takes, if if that's all the enemy has to use to keep us going forward together for the cause and name and kingdom of Christ, then man, he's just on vacation. Right? He doesn't have to do anything. And you look at Facebook or Twitter, and you see... Christian A and Christian B, and and what you see and hear is not unity. It's the total opposite. And all that does to the world is say, oh yeah, see, I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) There's nothing there. And all it does for Satan is make him do this. (laughs) Meanwhile, it's breaking the heart of our Savior who went to the cross to purchase the unity for us that he prayed for. My brothers, as James says, these things should not ought to be. God is greater than political opinion or difference. God is greater than any and every political opinion or difference. We need to live like we believe that, church. We have to. It's too much is at stake not to. Well, the last gear in our apparatus here that, that keeps this perspective going forward in our minds and our hearts and in our lives, this mindset that we need to have, the last gear that, that keeps that going is this, that we must choose to obey God no matter what. We must choose to obey God no matter what. If government ever puts us in a position of having to choose to honor and obey God or it, then we must every time choose God. Every time. No matter what the consequences might be. We see that in a powerful, clear way in Acts chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. What's going on here is the religious leaders are getting really upset with the disciples, with the apostles, because they're going out and they're teaching in the name of Jesus, and people are getting saved, and they're doing signs and wonders in Jesus' name, and the church is growing, and people aren't listening to the religious leaders as much as they used to. And the religious leaders who put Jesus on the cross said, man, we thought we got this guy. We thought we snuffed this this movement out. We thought we stamped his work and and his fame out. We thought we were done. Now this just keeps happening. We can't escape this guy. We can't get rid of him. What are we going to do? So they round up the apostles. They throw him in jail. They beat him. They threaten him. They think, all right, now we've got him. And they tell him as they are are in prison and as they're released, they say, don't ever speak in the name of Jesus again. We're warning you. 
This is going to happen again, and, and even more things will happen to you. We're going to keep escalating if you escalate. So just stop it, all right? Stop it. Don't speak in the name of Jesus. Don't teach in the name of Jesus. Quit what you're doing. Let it go. <laughs> they didn't do it. As soon as they got out of prison, where'd they go? To the temple complex. Started preaching in the name of Jesus. Started healing in the name of Jesus. Loving in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and the leaders are going crazy. Like, are you, really? Seriously? Verse 28. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to bring this man's blood on us. Now, if I had been there in a much less spiritual manner than Peter said, I would have said, uh, yeah, you think? The sandal fits, buddy, you know? Peter, look at his response, though. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Yeah, we heard you. We heard you loud and clear. But look, we, we've just decided. We, it's not, not even a contest. There's no question. We're going to obey God rather than men because he commissioned us to go out and teach and speak and love and heal in the name of Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We must obey God rather than men. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing up to Nebuchadnezzar. You know? I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a question. There was no contest. Nothing was in dispute. Bow before me. Reject everything you know to be true. Reject all of what God has commanded you to be and to do. Stop worshiping him alone. Worship me. Hmm, let me think. Uh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. We have to have the same mindset that no matter what, that if government ever puts, puts us in a position to where we have to choose to obey God or it, we choose him every time. Why? Because God is greater than any governmental mandate or threat. God is greater than any governmental mandate or threat, no matter what it may be. He is greater. He's greater. So all this means, all this comes down to this. Relax. Relax. Be at peace. God is in charge. God's in charge. Always. When there's a really good president or leader in the office, he's in charge. When there's a really bad president or leader, he's still in charge. God remains in control all the time. And all the time, God is good in that control. 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 13 really sums all this up in a very beautiful way. And this, this, this prayer that we see here in this passage, it needs to be our prayer as well, church. This, this needs to be on our lips. This needs to be in our minds. First Chronicles 29, 11-13 says this, Yours, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. Not President Trump's. Yours is the kingdom. Not President whoever comes after. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted as head above all. Isn't that good news? That he is exalted above head as head over all world leaders and governmental systems. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and he is always perfect in his ruling. 
In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. And here's the result of that. And now we thank you, we acknowledge you, we honor you is what that's saying. We, we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Oh, church, may that be on our lips as well. May that be in our hearts and minds. May, may these gears that we've looked at today, may they constantly be working together and, and in motion so that we have a, a, a machine that completely works the way it should, driving forward our perspective and our mindset. The one that we need to have, that God is greater than all of this. That he's greater than any political person or party, any, any governmental system or leader. That no matter who occupies the White House, the Lord Jesus always occupies the throne of the universe.